0: So, uh, um... A couple of weeks ago I started a little series a little short series I'm doing called something for nothing and that question mark is important something for nothing uh, because I want to I talk uh, I was I was challenged by a question uh, when I was at a, a leadership round table um, how do we value volunteers how do we, what do we see how do we see the value of volunteers to the organization that they are volunteering for uh, because when you're in business it's relatively easy to uh, uh, work out what the value is an, of an employee because you just work out what are they what money what customer are they bringing to the business? What finances are they bringing in? But when a voluntary organisation is about giving out, it's about giving to others, it can be quite difficult to work out what that is. And Actually, I didn't want to work out what the financial cost is really. What what interested me about the question was, how do we see it in in the lives of volunteers as they're volunteering for that organisation, whether it be church or or otherwise? And I came up with four uh, things where I go, if you look at someone, you go... Wow, I can see that value. So the, the, the last week, the first one was passion. So when you see passion in a, in a volunteer, because if they're passionate for what they're doing, then, then their work is going to be passionate and people are going to pick up on that passion. Uh, and, and everybody's going to have a greater time uh, together. And this week then, I'm not going to see with the other two This week then, um, I want to move on to what I preliminarily called plays well with others, but a.k.a. teamwork. So a volunteer really shows their value when they are happy to be part of a team and they work as a team. In other words, they play well with others, or if you remember my definition of team from a number of weeks ago, they are mates with a purpose. Alright, so a team is mates with a purpose. So this morning I'm going to talk about teamwork because our value is shown in how we work together, uh, how we work well together as a team, uh, in how we help, in, uh, particularly in our context, and how we help we build up the church so that it looks and acts more like who? Uh, isn't it a rhetorical question? Uh, looks and acts more like Who? Jesus, Jesus, alright, okay. Now, um, I'm not going to read it just yet, but you can put your thumb in it if you like. Acts 2 from verse 42. Acts 2 from verse 42. You can put your thumb in it there, but um, I'll I'll, I'll read that in a little while, so don't read it just yet. Um, In years gone by, I've generally been uh, the, the first person to jump into a team-building game. Who's done a, ever done a team-building game? All right, okay. So you kind of know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, we, somebody said we need we need all 15 of you to get from this side of room to the other, and you can't touch the floor, and you've only got use of three drinking straws and a cup. Go. You, do, do you know what I mean? It's that kind of that kind of uh, uh, team game. And, and quite often, years in years gone by, I'd, I'd give it a few seconds, and it would only be a few seconds to to let others start suggesting ideas. Uh, and in that silence that generally follows while the thinkers are thinking, I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd start giving orders as to how we might get the task done. Uh, I'd rarely have an endpoint in sight. I just wanted to get that team going. Do you know what I mean? I just didn't like the silence. I didn't like the thinking. Just, let's just do. And that was how I approached those, those team building games. And my, so my interpretation of, of being a team player was to, was to lead from the front. Uh, uh, to take action, to, to motivate and to encourage. And, and I guess when you think about that, you think, oh, well, that's quite good. Oh, that's, that's, that sounds quite good, doesn't it? Motivate, encourage, sounds quite good. Um, but, but, but I knew that to get my idea as, as the preferred one, I'd have to cajole. Uh, I'd have to manipulate. And ultimately, I'd have to try and control the situation. And whenever you start to manipulate, whenever you start to use clever arguments to, to get your own way, when you start to split hairs with words, you know, when people are saying something, you get a little bit facetious about it, you're on a path to somewhere that isn't, isn't particularly wholesome, it isn't particularly good, and it's definitely not honest, and it's not righteous uh, 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 and, or good. And no matter how jovial and team spirited you might appear as you go, as you start to do that, Now, here's the thing. The organisers of those team-building days, they just generally saw the outcome and they saw that it was good. All right, they saw it was good. Mission accomplished. The team had successfully made it across the imaginary shark-infested waters. Uh, And in most companies, uh, uh, the outcome is what's important. It's it's, it's a dog-eat-dog competitive spirit in the world of business a lot of businesses. We see it in the shows like The Apprentice, don't we? Albeit it's it's edited quite a bit to to show maybe the worst side of people but you know there is no smoke without fire as they say so there's definitely some of that going on isn't there? Uh, And and the attitude to use, abuse and undermine others, to scramble to the top, particularly in shows like The Apprentice uh, but generally in business is quite evident. Now I'm in no way suggesting that I was as bad as that. I did genuinely leave some space for others to speak and to share ideas. But if they didn't line up with mine, even roughly, uh, I'd use carefully considered words. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd play on emotions even to get my own way. I sound great, don't I? I sound like a really good guy. Um, in the end, well, here's the thing: in the end, I, w- I was mostly viewed as a good team player because I got the job done. As far as my bosses were concerned at the time, I was in fact regarded as a natural leader of teams. But the way I went about trying to work out what the bosses wanted and manipulate the game to the end that wasn't... Well, it wasn't righteous, all right. And it certainly wasn't based on the love of Christ. But back then I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know that. And I thought on the whole I was a good person. I was just doing what everybody else did and I just managed to cajole and manipulate and to control so I got to the top before they did. There you go. Maybe I should just stop there and you can all go away and think, wow, he's, he's mean. Um, <laughs> I think that maybe some of us struggle to really understand what it, what it means to work as a team especially a team full of volunteers. On the surface, we can play well together, but unless we have the love of Christ flowing through to our actions and affecting our decision-making, we, we can fall prey, can't we? We can fall prey to looking good, but having no authenticity. Well, well I, I, okay. Uh, and, and, and no genuine care for how the team is really doing as a whole. When we've got the love of Christ flowing through us, flowing through our team, our team is one. It's where everyone cares about one another and we care for the common cause of our, of our mission. Which our mission as a church is to enlarge the church. To extend God's kingdom's rule and reign over creation and to see people come to Christ free at last from worry and burden. Would you agree that's our mission? Okay, two or three of us agree that's our mission. The rest of you, you're on a different mission. Um, it's our mission, it's to enlarge the church, it's to advance the kingdom. Yeah. 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 Sorry, it's, th- it's the thinker's thinking, isn't it? And, and I still haven't learned that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm wanting to move on and come on, let's get up, stop thinking. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's read Acts 2 from verse 42. And again, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, because it is my favourite translation at the moment. And again, you can pick up copies over there for just £20. So you're going to save £5 if you pick up a copy from here. All right, anyway, Acts 2 from verse 42. Every believer was faithfully devoted to the following the teachings of the Apostles. Um, And and just to interrupt there, there's a word there, it's it's a Greek word, it's didach, uh, something like that. It could be didach, I have no idea. Anyway, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, and it means skilled instruction and training. So so they, they, they faithfully, following the teachings, the skilled instructions and training of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. And in fact, again, if you look at the words there, it says they became partners they mutually linked, they became partners, uh, uh, linking together, sharing communion. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers were in fellowship as one body and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets. To They didn't have their money clung to their heart, did they? they, they it, was, it was all there to serve a purpose. Their assets were there to serve a purpose. That's to, to expand the, the kingdom of God and, and to help those in need. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. So they met in the temple. They met at church and then they met in their homes. All right, It's not either or, it's and. Meet together corporately and together in a smaller group. I think it's there in scripture. They shared meals together, filled with joyful hearts and tender humility. Wow. And they were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all people. And guess what happened because they did that? The Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. That's awesome. So good. The church is important to God. All right, God. No matter what, no matter what I try and preach on, God keeps bringing me back to the importance of the local church. So um, I'm not ashamed about that. It's something that's obviously on His heart. The church is important to God. Acts 20:28 20, tells us that He purchased and established the church by His own blood. It's pretty important, don't you think? When somebody purchases something by the very essence of who they are, God made a huge sacrifice. To bring the church into being. He sacrificed his one and only son, Jesus. And and having sacrificed something very precious and very costly to bring bring to birth the church, he, he invested all the riches and, and health of heaven to, to do this, to bring the church into being. If you read Colossians 2, verse 3, it says, heaven's wisdom and endless riches of revelation knowledge. And Ephesians 3, verse 8, the inexhaustible riches of Christ. All the riches of heaven to birth the church into creation. So God wants his church to stand. Matthew 16 verse 18, he calls it the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. But God also wants his church to enlarge, to grow and increase both spiritually and physically. Physically. Um, Ephesians 4 verse 11 from verse 11, Every member has been given divine gifts To contribute to the growth of all And these gifts operate effectively Throughout the whole body And are built up and made perfect in love And in fact Jeremiah 30 verse 19 says And I will multiply them And they will not be diminished in number yes. So God isn't about shrinking his church It's about growing his church Physically as well as spiritually in fact, what were Jesus' last words to his disciples? All of you have been Christians for a long time. What were they? It was the Great Commission, wasn't it? So that's, you find that in Matthew 28. and it's, That's Jesus telling his disciples to go, to multiply, to increase and enlarge the number of disciples all across the world. That's Jesus' final words to the disciples. That's our job. That's our commission. That's what we've got to do. If we want to understand what it means for the church to enlarge. We've only got to look at that early church, so that way back then, and, and see how they experienced enlargement. And let's look at the track record of that early church, shall we? Just very briefly, in Acts one fifteen, the church grows to hundred and twenty people. Three thousand are then recorded to be added to the church in Acts two forty one. And I've always said, how did, you know, when people have a little go at kind of administrative stuff within church and think it's not that spiritual, well, clearly in the early church, somebody was recording. Somebody was noting down the numbers. Because it tells us that 3,000 were then recorded being added to the church. The church then grew to 5,000, we're told in Acts 4, verse 4, and that, that, and that wasn't even counting the women and the children. There was no Me Too movement back then, I'm sorry to say. They, they definitely were a little bit uh, 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 male-orientated, but, but that's okay. You know That's, 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 that's the era in the culture. So they just recorded the men. So however many more they might have, there would have been thousands more, wouldn't they? If it had counted the women and the children. In Acts 5 verse 14, in most Bible translations, it talks about multitudes being added. Uh, which I've found, when I've looked at that word multitude, it's defined as a lot. A host, a horde, a mass, even a mountain. That's a lot, isn't it? I don't know, last time he checked out a mountain. you know, it's, it's quite large. A lot of people. Acts 9 verse 31 continues to tell us of the church multiplication. And in Acts 16 verse 5, the church experienced spiritual and physical growth. I started noting down all these bits of scripture that I was using from Acts and just gave up. And I just wrote, I think in their key verse, the book of Acts. So go read the book of Acts if you want to learn about the early church. What is the case today regarding church growth is a question I asked myself. What is the case? Where are we at right now? So if we saw that in the early church, what are we doing right now? Well, it would appear from at least a quick search that very few churches in the UK are experiencing that kind of growth. That kind of enlargement. In a a poll done by YouGov uh, over the last few years, it seems the church attendance has in fact decreased uh, in the more traditional denominations. The same poll suggests that evangelical and Pentecostal churches, in other words, more charismatic churches, attendance has actually increased. But on the whole, there is decrease. I give thanks for the growth in the charismatic church, but there is decrease. Now, I do know that within the Anglican community, at least, uh, there are churches such as St George's in town and others who are very charismatic in what they do, and they're seeing an increase. But generally, if you're more traditional, you're seeing a decrease. I ask my question, okay, well, what's responsible for that? Why do we not look like the first century church? Why are we not growing? Why are we not seeing all these people? Well, I'm sure if we took some time to think and talk, um, we'd come up with different answers. Some of us might say it's because evangelism isn't given an important place in most churches today. And we're bothered about employing the pastor and the worship leader. And, and a few years ago, it was more about it was, it was about employing the youth, youth worker and the children's pastor. And we kind of... You know, maybe, possibly, some of your answers might be that we haven't focused enough on evangelism. Some might say it's because the church of today is all talk and no power. So it's all about listening to the word but no Holy Spirit moving. In other extremes, some might go even so far as to argue that it's because a large number of local churches have no business existing at all. Because it wasn't God that sent those people to plant those churches. It's just people trying to build themselves up and give themselves a platform. You might think that. What was it then about the early church which which helps explain why it experienced rapid growth and enlargement? Can I suggest to you then that I think there is a fundamental thing, and and the clue should be in the title of today's talk, there is a fundamental thing which contributed to the enlargement of the early church, uh, both spiritually and physically. It's this. It's It's that they were together in both heart and mind. They were together in both heart and mind. Acts 1.14 tells us that they prayed together. And in fact at the end of that verse, and if you look at the Aramaic, it, it, it's more roughly translated as they prayed with one soul. I don't know what that looks like, what that means, but it sounds pretty deep, doesn't it? They prayed with one soul. We get from Acts 2 verse 1 that they waited in expectation together. They shared together in Acts 4 verse 32. And they clearly fellowshiped. What What? together uh, in, in Acts 2 verse 42? They served God together and ate together in Acts 2 46. In other words, they were what? They were together as a strong team. There was cooperation. There was collaboration. They were in one accord. Acts 2 verse 44. John Maxwell says this, collaboration. Do you know who John Maxwell is? No, John Maxwell. He's uh, like a life coach. He's Christian, but he's also a life coach. Huge, successful um, business and ministry, I I guess. But he's—he's have a look on YouTube. He's he's a wise fella. But he said this very simple sentence: Collaboration is multiplication. Mm -hmm. Collaboration is multiplication. If we want to grow, we need to work. We need to learn how to really work together. We need to be. We need to be a good team. We need to be mates with one purpose not several purposes, all pulling us all apart. The early church started with a team, didn't it? It was a team made up of of Jesus' core disciples, and Jesus showed that selecting, training, mentoring, and developing a team is the first step to advancing God's kingdom through church enlargement. Indeed, I think you'll find that that then becomes effective evangelism. And I've read that there are two approaches to selecting a team. Number one, discover a need and then find a person to fill it. Number two, discover a person and then create a job for them within the team. Which of these approaches do you think Jesus adopted? Did he see a need and then select a person that will fill that need? Or did he see a person and start creating a job or an assignment for that person? Jesus already knew who his disciples were going to be. He knew all about them. And, and we see a suggestion of that in, in John, John 1 from verse 47. I'll read it to you. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said, Now here comes a true son of Israel, an honest man with no hidden motives. Nathanael was stunned and said, But you've never met me. How do you I said to Jesus? Sounds absurd, doesn't it? How do you know anything about me? Oh Jesus answered Nathaniel right before Philip came to you I saw you sitting under the shade of the fig tree before Jesus chose them I think he probably knew each person's strengths and weaknesses knew each person's capabilities which means that the three years he spent with them do you remember because Jesus had a three year earthly ministry that was not to discover who they were because he already knew. The three years he spent with them was to equip them for the challenges that they were going to face. Yes. I remember a phrase being said, and maybe it was from the great Gok Wan. If anybody knows Gok Wan. <laughs> I remember a phrase that he said, and I may have even said it before here. Dress today how you want to be tomorrow. Dress today how you want to be tomorrow. In other words, in other words, put on the clothes today that represent what you have the potential to become. Jesus knew uh, knew that these people he gathered had the potential to be world changers. And and they certainly were, weren't they? I mean, 12 people to 3.5 billion Christians in the world today. I think, they, I think they ultimately did their job, and they did it well. Jesus knew there had potential to be world changers. He just, he just needed to guide them and put them on the right path. Jesus knew what was needed, and he selected people that would meet that need. So what was the need? I hear you not asking. What, what was that need? Well, in Matthew 9, verse 37, Jesus tells us, he says this, The harvest is huge and ripe. But there are not enough harvesters to bring it in. We don't all have to come from the same tribe, the same background, be of the same age group, have similar interests or be of the same profession or have have the same skills and abilities before we can work as a team. Before, in fact, we can succeed as a team. We, we We don't need all that. Some of Jesus' disciples, let's look at them, some of Jesus' disciples are relatives. So Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were, they were brothers, weren't they? And, and, and some weren't even related at all. In fact, Jesus didn't pick people from the same background. His team was varied. So you've, you've got tax collectors, haven't you? you you've, got, you've got fishermen, so you've got those who were liked and those who weren't liked. And, and you've got everyone that's politically active, Simon the Zealot. So he had a bit of a voice going on, didn't he? He he would probably be a a Facebook keyboard ninja warrior, you know, spouting his opinions and and wobbe tied you for disagree with him. Some of his team were outspoken; some of them were were quiet. Andrew was the one that led Peter to Christ, but we don't hear about him as much as we do Peter. The nicknames Jesus gave James and John. What nickname did he give them? He called them the sons of thunder. I'd love to be a son of thunder. I don't know why I'd love that. It just sounds cool. I should tell you something, though, shouldn't it, about their, their personality. In fact, I think I recall one story where they, they said, Jesus, why don't you just call down like, stuff from heaven and destroy this, this, this place? Fire and all that. And Jesus was like, whoa, dude. I'm not going to do that. But I should tell you something about their personality, eh? Jesus picked a diverse team made up of people from different backgrounds, personalities and abilities. But in those three years of intensive discipleship training with Jesus, he was getting this message across to his disciples. Despite their differences in personality, profession and background, they need to get along. They need to be together in mind and spirit because they had important work for the kingdom to do together And that was so much more important than any personal issues or personal aims that they might have. Because advancing the kingdom of God and seeing the creation come under his rule and reign is the biggest and best mission that we have all got as Christians. And that should take priority over anything else that you've got going on in your life. But diversity did make this team particularly interesting, as it does our team here at Freedom Church. And many other local churches across the nation. Diversity brings spiritual variety, I think, to the message that God wants to put across. Those with different abilities, skills and backgrounds. He's able to make the message of the gospel rich. I think that's cool. I'm going to read you 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 4. Because it tells us this. It is the same Holy Spirit who continues to distribute many varieties of gifts. Many different varieties of gifts. The Lord Yahweh is one, and he is the one who apportions to believers different varieties of ministries. The same God distributes different kinds of miracles that accomplish different results through each believer's gift and ministry as he energizes them and activates them. And from verse 18 of the same chapter it says, But God God has carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function as he desires. A diversity is required. For if the body consisted of one single part, there wouldn't be a body at all. For now we see there are many different parts and functions, but one body. So look at yourself, look at your hands and your feet and the end of your nose. Do you all look the same? No, you're not an amorphous blob, are you? You don't go to sleep in a bucket, you know, and then, and then morph into something else during the day. You're a human being with many parts that are different, but needed to make up you and the church is the same. Many different parts making up the church. Hugely diverse. Let me give you an example. Five preachers can preach the same message in five different ways, as an example. One could sing the message. Lord. You know, might do. I imagine Stu would sing a message. I don't know why. Maybe even John might sing a message. But you might sing a message. Or, or maybe another one might dramatise the message. Sir Pete Gray might dramatise the message. Might get, Chris might dramatise the message. I don't know. Pointed toe. All that. Some might do it through the medium of dance. Kathy, you might do it. Becca might do it through the medium of dance. Or others might say it with a very quiet and sober voice. While another can shout and run all over the place as they preach the same message. It's the same message but can be vocalised in five different ways. The practical implications of belonging to a diverse team is that we can't all do ministry in the same way. And we shouldn't. We're not supposed to. We're all burdened to, with, concerned about, or even notice, we can't all be burdened and concerned about the same things. We don't all respond to situations in the same way, do we? Our differences call for an appreciation of where each person's coming from, an appreciation of each person's personality, each person's uniqueness, and not condemning one another or trying to get the other person to be like you. It calls for flexibility on our part, doesn't it? We need to be able to stretch because being flexible brings enlargement. Why I went like stretch. You know, it brings enlargement. Isaiah fifty two encourages us to enlarge the sight of your tent. In fact, to make room for more children. So I don't know what that tent's referring to, but to make room for more children. I'm sorry, I was thinking about this anyway. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare them. Lengthen your tent ropes. In other words, be willing to expand. Because the one big hindrance to enlargement is when people on the team are not flexible. Scripture tells us that we're like clay in God's hands. We should be as flexible as clay so that God can work easily through us. When we're like clay, we're flexible and we're not rigid. We're not religious, I would say. We can easily accommodate people who are different from us, who see things differently from us. We can relate and work well with people of different backgrounds, personalities, and giftings. Jesus, the master of his early team, demonstrated and modeled that flexibility. Jesus' flexibility was why he could work with a group of people with different backgrounds, personalities, ideas, and skills. He was flexible, he was flexible, but he didn't compromise either. He didn't compromise the godly standards that had been set. The bit from Isaiah that I just read actually ends with this sentence. Make your pegs firm in the ground. So yes, there is flexibility, there is room for growth and enlargement, but we have a peg firm in the ground and that peg is not moving. There is flexibility, but we should know for sure where we stand. Yes. Yeah. Right. For a moment, try not to think, I don't know what you think of when you think of Jesus, but sometimes you can think, oh, the carpenter, because he's a carpenter, isn't he? But try not, try not to think of him as, as a carpenter. Because he was and is so much more than that. The reality is that he and his disciples are of completely different backgrounds. Weren't they? He was from heaven. <laughs> and they were of the world. It's pretty, it's pretty far apart, isn't it? In terms of, of, of coming into the same team. He, Jesus could have called on heaven to sort out many of the situations that he and they found themselves in. But he, he chose every time to, and he says this, to empty himself of his outward glory. He says that in Philippians 2.7. He worked with the personalities and the skills that he had in his team. And he was patient. And he was flexible with them. And this is, that's an attitude that, that, that we've got to have when we're dealing with members of the team. Or teams that we find ourselves in. Within or without the church actually. By being flexible, others on our teams help us. So when we're flexible, others actually help us. We can learn from them even if we're totally different. The issue is is that when people aren't flexible, they've pretty much just blocked their minds to receiving from others. They might develop an attitude of, what do they have to offer me? What can I learn from them? And here's some examples. It might be an age thing that blocks them from receiving. I'm older than them. What could they possibly show me that I don't already know? It might be an issue of experience. Well, I've been a Christian for a long, long, long time. Long before they thought about even giving their lives to Christ. There's no revelation that they could reveal to me. Or even this. It might be their social status. I'm the director of a big organisation and they're just an office junior. Why should I listen to them? Come across any of those attitudes in your life? I have. I might have even been guilty of one or two of them as life has gone by. In 2 Kings chapter 5 we find the character, I don't know how you pronounce it, is it Naaman or Naaman? Naaman. Na- I don't know. What's that? N- nobody knows. Is that, are we playing QI? Thank you. Well, there we go. I often look at YouTube and, and how do you say so-and-so? And it comes up. All right, you ready? You ready? <clears throat> In Two Kings chapter 5, find, find the character of Nayman, <laughs> Who had to learn flexibility. This is my point. Forget his name. There's a guy who had to learn the flexibility of, 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 of direction from others. How he received direction from others. He, he had to listen to and accommodate the suggestion of a girl. A girl, So a woman and a girl, female and ooh, much younger than him and of a different social status. He had to learn that God heals in different ways. And, and go read it, 2 Kings chapter 5. He had to be flexible enough to receive a healing in different ways from what he was used to or even how he expected. The word that can enlarge our business, our ministries, our finances, whatever, might come from a person that we least expect it to. It might come in a way that if we're flexible, we could miss it. So let's be flexible, shall we? In all that we do, in all in, in how we think, so that, that we can be enlarged together. Because Jesus picked an imperfect team. The pioneers of the early church, or if you like, the New Testament church, they were people, mostly men in fact with weaknesses and with shortcomings and it's fascinating that Jesus picked those most that most people wouldn't have even considered for this important role of building his church and the fact is that we're all on a journey of change aren't we and we have some character flaws and weaknesses but that doesn't mean that we're doomed to failure we can do great things for god each and every one of us, we can get to where God is taking us as long as we genuinely desire to become more like Jesus. How did Jesus handle the weaknesses and imperfection in his team? Well, firstly, firstly, he didn't wait until they were perfect. (laughs) Until he chose them or started using them. Yes, I know that it says in Matthew 5, 48, that Jesus tells us we're perfect. But it also tells us that we're to be Perfect. Like our Father in heaven. Which in my mind suggests two things. Firstly, this is how Jesus chooses to see us. He chooses to see us as perfect. Choosing to deal with us within that context. But secondly, that clearly isn't what we are right now. I, I'm not perfect. In terms of sometimes how I think and how I do things. Oh, shock, Horror. But Jesus sees me as perfect and that's the context of which I, am begin- I I choose to work and he chooses to work through me. So we're going to be, we are becoming. In other words, if we use the Greek word that is used there, which is teleos, we use a word that actually means maturity, rounded, whole, to be complete as God is. God does not say one thing and think another. God does not pretend compassion while not really caring at all. God is sincere, he's whole and he's wholehearted and that is what we should be too. Jesus didn't cast away Thomas for doubting, did he? He didn't cast away Peter for denying him. He loved, he supported, he encouraged, he rebuked and he corrected members of his team when that need arose. And then I think we should do likewise. We should be like Jesus. Romans 15, verse 1 to 2. I'm nearly finished, folks. Romans 15, verses 1 to 2, it says this. Now those who are mature in their faith can be easily recognised. For they don't live to please themselves, but have learned to patiently embrace others in their immaturity. Oh, wow. Our goal must be to empower others, to do what is right and good for them, and to bring them into spiritual maturity. Underneath Jesus' team were weaknesses and shortcomings. But it was a team with great capacity for growth and enlargement. Clearly it was. Peter had the potential, didn't he, right at the beginning, but he didn't know it then. He had the potential to preach a message and in one day, one day, 3,000 people will be saved and added to the church. Peter, Matthew and John had the potential to put down in the writings of Jesus in what would be later come to form our Bible the greatest tool ever for church growth and enlargement and kingdom advancement. Jesus saw his disciples' potential for enlargement before he chose them. Each of us, each one of us, I'm saying it to all of you, you have a seed within you. We all have a seed within us, a, a potential, a skill, a gift, an experience that can enlarge. you can enlarge Freedom Church. You can enlarge this local church of which you find yourselves, this family here. You can enlarge it. And I don't just mean by getting married and breeding. I mean finding others and bringing them to church and helping them come to spiritual maturity. Growth comes when each one of us plays our role. When each one of us gives our very best. Gives our full support. Talents are increased when they're put to use. Have a read of of Matthew chapter 25 from verse 14. See what I'm talking about. The church can't really grow and enlarge to its fullest capacity if we're holding back. If we're not utilising what God has put in us. Let me finish just by talking about being available, diligent, and determined. We could have the right team. We could have selected people with great potential for enlargement. But if, if they're not available, diligent, and determined, we won't see an experience enlargement. What... What could have happened to the early church? What would have happened to the early church if those disciples hadn't been available, diligent and determined? Take Peter, for example. His faith wavered, didn't it? As, as, as he walked with Jesus on the water. Yet, he still stayed on his Christian journey. He even went as so far as to denying Jesus three times, didn't he? But he still kept on in the faith. And this, to me, shows that Peter was what? He was determined Jesus on his ascension to heaven gave a very important instruction they should wait in Jerusalem until they are empowered from on high and ultimately we see that Peter was available to be filled to full capacity with the Holy Spirit Peter didn't just open his mouth and 3,000 people were brought to the Lord he didn't just do that I think he must have taken time to pray took time to to be filled with power from on high, took time to know and understand the message of salvation in Christ so that he could properly communicate that to people. In his message that he took to the people through what God prophesied in Joel about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he went to Psalms to refer to what David has said about the Lord. In other words, what was he? He was diligent in his study availability, diligence and determination are what made Peter and the apostles experience enlargement in their ministry and the early church they had started yeah, church we, we are different from the world and, and we have great potential underneath all our imperfections and we can succeed as a team Remember, we are mates with a purpose. In fact, we are family. We can succeed. We can experience enlargement, if we're together as a team. If we're flexible, and then available, diligent, and determined. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone and we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we love.